Welcome to the Williamstown Church of Christ podcast. This is a sermon recording from one of our Sunday worship gatherings. We meet every Sunday at 10am on the corner of John Street and Douglas Parade, and we'd love to meet you. For more information, head to our website, willychurch.org.au. Enjoy and God bless you. We are in a series called The Crown the Cross. We are looking at the Gospel of Mark, one of the four biographies of Jesus which are recorded for us in the Bible. And um, we today have heard the story of the third and the fourth of these incredible signs, or sometimes they're called miracles of Jesus, which Mark records in this little section in Mark 4 and Mark 5. These are snapshots of the kingdom of God, snapshots of the restoration um, and the renewal which Jesus has come to bring to people and to creation. And uh, we looked a couple weeks ago at, um, at the, the, the sermon, Faith Over Fear. We looked at how Jesus calmed the storm when he was in the boat with the disciples. And last week, Lockie preached on Jesus and demons and spoke about the man who was possessed with demons and that sign and that foretaste of the kingdom of God that that story speaks of. And if a crowd were amazed at these miracles, here in this passage, which Jesus specifically for us, we hear about two more. And the crowd are completely astonished, Mark tells us at Jesus' work in this passage. Jesus leaves the crowds completely as He performs his incredible signs. As he demonstrates his power over sickness and his power over the greatest enemy, death itself. And he brings this young girl back from the dead. It's a powerful, powerful passage and part of scripture. Um, and one which, as you're reading it, it, it grips you. It grips you because it it's, it's leaves you on the edge of your seat. What is going to happen? Uh, what is the resolution going to be in this story? Now, I was remembering this week that a few months ago, Charlie was going to Sydney for work and I, um, we decided that because it was only a couple of days, Zoe and I would go along with him and use the opportunity to have some accommodation provided and stay up there and visit some family. Charlie's brother lives up there now. And so we got um, this one-off experience, I'm not sure if how many of you have had this experience, of getting some tickets for the Qantas Lounge. Um, this isn't something that I regularly do, as you'll tell as the story goes on. We got some passes through Charlie's work, and so in we went with our toddler, our active toddler, into the Qantas Lounge at Melbourne Airport. Now, we're on the way to the Qantas Lounge, and we were queuing up and putting our bags in and all the things you have to do when you go travelling at some ungodly hour of the morning, like 5.45 or something. And as we were in the queue, I said to Charlie, when we get there to the lounge... I know there's gonna, like, we've got a toddler, there's things we could do. I really need to go to the toilet, okay? So when we get there, that's the agenda, that's what we're doing, okay? So um, we get there and, um, you know, we arrive and, um, and things. And the first thing that, that I saw in the Qantas Lounge was this huge coffee bar where there was about four baristas ready to take your order and make you a real deal coffee, 
Okay, like I said, I'm not a normal Qantas lounge kind of a person. Some of you are nodding going, yes, is there anything interesting in this story? But a lot of us, us normal people, are saying, well, of course that's exciting. This coffee bar was ready. It was ready for people like me to walk in and say, I'd like a skinny, uh, soy, flat white with just a little chocolate on the top. And so I went up and ordered my coffee. And then I thought, hang on a minute, I really need the toilet. And that was the agenda. We were meant to be getting here and I really need the bathroom. And But yeah, I put my order in and no sooner as I put it in, it was like, number 48, oh, that's my coffee, it's here, it's ready, it's hot, this is great, like, this is free, you know, this hasn't cost me anything. And I'm here with my coffee and I really all along just needed to go to the bathroom. Now, um, I tell that story because in that moment of arriving at the Qantas Lounge and seeing this incredible, really nice barista kind of a bar, I'd completely gotten distracted from what I'd set out to do. Um, the agenda was arrive, me go to the bathroom, Charlie take care of Zoe so that we could make that happen. But I completely let myself be distracted from what I'd said to do because something got in the way. In this passage, we meet a man called Jairus who thinks that Jesus has become distracted from what Jesus has set out to do. He thinks that Jesus has missed the point, has um, forgotten the goal. Um, of the moment. But actually in this passage, we meet a king whose agenda and timing and purposes are so much greater than that that Jairus sees. We meet a king who brings a young girl and a chronically sick woman back to life. And so the big idea of this passage is the king who brings us back to life. This passage is what scholars and kind of really um, educated people who write about Mark call um, a Mark and Sandwich. Now, we've already met a Mark and Sandwich in Mark 3 when uh, Lockie introduced, introduced us to the brioche bun and the, you know, grass-fed beef and the bottom of the brioche bun. Some of you will remember that from our Mark 3 script, um, scripture and sermon. Um, but... Um, but scholars call this passage a mark and sandwich. And you're not supposed to read this. This is just to demonstrate what I mean and what scholars mean. What happens in this passage is that there is two kind of chunks of the passage, and they are the blue text, which are kind of like the bread or the Turkish bun, or if you're going to grill, you know, the Turkish bun with all the sesame seeds on top. And the red part in this passage, and in any of the Mark and Sandwiches, which you find a number of times in Mark, is the meat or the guts or the inside. And so there's this interesting structure which Mark uses, and this passage very much is a Mark and Sandwich. Um, we begin at the top there with that small chunk of text with Jairus, and Mark introduces Jairus to us. And then the distraction, in inverted commas, Jesus is seemingly interrupted by the woman with the chronic bleeding and Jesus heals her. Then we return to Jairus and his daughter. Um, and as I thought about the passage this week, I thought, it is a Marcan sandwich, but the other thing it reminded me of was a Hollywood movie formula, which usually begins with the protagonist, a main character, in this case it could be Jairus, um, it then um, moves into the second stage, into uh, some kind of issue or tension, something that gets in the way, uh, some kind of problem, 
uh, make the Hollywood formula really work. And the third uh, part of the Hollywood formula is very often a resolution, closure, sometimes a happy ending, where things come together. And this passage kind of reminds me of a Hollywood formula as well, because as we're going to see in this passage, there is huge resolution that comes through Jesus' power in this passage. So we're going to dive in and have a look uh, firstly at our protagonist, Jairus, in the first section. So from verse 21 on, and you can turn it up in your apps or your Bibles if you like as well, we meet Jairus. Now Jairus is named in this passage. Anyone who's named in scripture um, has a level of standing in society. And he had a level of standing because he was a leader in the synagogue. He was the president of the synagogue, you might say. He was male, and so automatically that gave him cred in first century society. And yet he comes to Jesus and he does something that males in the first century would not normally do. He falls at Jesus' feet. Now this speaks to us of something of where he was at, the desperation he was feeling. And as I read this passage this week and I prepared this this sermon for this morning, this passage had a whole new meaning for me as I thought about what it's now like in our life stage to have a daughter and to have someone for whom I have sole care over and all of this responsibility over. And people often say it, you would do anything for your own child when something went wrong. For the ones you love, you would throw everything out the door and focus solely on whatever you need to do to keep the ones you love safe and secure. And so Jairus comes, flings himself at Jesus' feet, and Jesus, out of his compassion for Jairus, remember last week we saw the compassion of Jesus as Jesus encounters the man who's possessed by demons, and Jesus sees him and sees the demons and says, you are not to be identified just with that. You are a man who is possessed and under this power, and Jesus sees him with compassion. And so just as we saw that last week, here again, we glimpse Jesus' compassion for Jairus. And so that's the setup of this passage. Jairus says, come, you must come. My daughter is so ill and you must come. Jesus, I fling myself at your feet in this desperation. Now, no sooner does Mark tell us Jesus has begun heading to Jairus' house, Mark introduces in his quick fashion that we're now used to, the immediately and the, and the next thing and the fast-moving pace of Mark's gospel. He introduces to the second main character in this event. In this situation with this second character, there is no name. There is only a woman. Here was a woman who had had chronic bleeding, hemorrhaging for 12 years. Can you imagine what that would be like? Mark tells us she was there among the crowds. There were many crowds pressing in on Jesus and she was there. Here is a woman with no position in society. And Mark paints a picture for us of her biography of who she is. He says she suffered for 12 years from this chronic bleeding. And not only was she afflicted physically, but she had also suffered socially. As someone in her condition would have been completely isolated from family and friendships, uh, she would have been completely cut off. She had suffered financially. Mark tells us this detail that she'd spent all she had on doctors. 
and yet still there had been no solution. It's likely because of the position in society she had, she would have been taken advantage by doctors along the way. And that's why she had been led to this bankrupt situation. She also would have been excluded from religious life because a woman like her would have been seen as completely impure. It would be inappropriate to, to let her into any synagogue or, or any worship ceremony. She would have been seen as unclean. And if that is not enough, Mark tells us she had grown worse, not better. This woman was desperate. She had absolutely nothing left. Probably all of us know someone um, living with chronic illness, chronic pain or, or illness, perhaps of a physical nature, perhaps mental illness. Um, one of our friends that we've been journeying with over several years is in this situation. We can only know some of what her life is like, but as those of you will know who have friends um, in this journey, you learn to ask different questions. You learn to not say, what travel are you doing coming up? But what did you get up to this week? Um, and, you know, I've learned to say things um, with my friend, you know, have you done Pilates lately? Because I know that's something that she is able to do. You learn to ask different questions and you learn to have a new filter when you're thinking through how to journey in friendship with these people. And in her desperation, this woman does something that would have required a lot of courage. She had no idea what would happen if she was found out that, that she had gone up and touched this rabbi's cloak. She had no idea what the ramifications for that was, knowing that she was unclean in society. Nevertheless, she comes up behind Jesus, behind him, sneaks up, if you like, on Jesus, and touches his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And the passage tells us immediately her bleeding stopped immediately. And she felt in her body she was freed from her suffering. Something had changed. She knew it as she felt her body in that moment. Now, let's just imagine for a moment your Laz uh, Lazarus. I don't know what I'm thinking. Let's imagine in that moment your Jairus, your Jairus. Can you imagine the panic and the urgency that you would have been feeling as Jesus, realising something has happened, power has gone out of me, stops to talk to this woman. Uh, when Zoe was about seven months old, she, on one Saturday afternoon, developed a really um, full-on rash all over her body. And um, as you do when you're a first-time parent and your child develops something that you've never seen before, um, you stress out a little bit about it. And it was a Saturday afternoon, doctors were closed, so we called the National Home Doctor Service and they assured us that we would have a doctor that day at our home with us. That must have been one of the longest afternoons I think I've ever had <laughs> because as the afternoon wore on, um, Zoe's rash wasn't going away. The doctor still hadn't arrived and we were there with this young seven-month-old uh, trying to stay chilled and calm but actually mindful that this could be anything. Um, I talked last week about Dr Google, remember? Um, and the things that you do looking into, well, what could be wrong? <coughs> There was a sense for us of urgency and, and hurry up and where are they and calling the line to say, you know, is the, 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 the queue still there? Are we still in the queue? 
This was just a tiny, tiny snapshot, though, for what Jairus would have been experiencing. Imagine him going from toe to toe next to Jesus. Like, Jesus, could you just hurry up? Because actually, we've got a mission. You seem to be distracted by this woman. But remember, we were on the way to my house. And remember that that was what we were actually doing. He would have been despairing. And every second that went by would have felt like an hour for him. Um, he would have been thinking, you know, what if Jesus doesn't get there in time? Like, we're going to miss, we're going to miss this opportunity for healing. And um, you know, you can imagine Jairus surely thinking, how will I ever rebuild from this, from this tragedy? Um, Jairus would have seen this woman as the most full-on interruption to the mission, to the goal, to the journey to get to Jairus's home. But not according to Jesus. Jesus stops. And, and looks at the crowd and asks, who touched my clothes? Now, his disciples laugh at him. They see this as a ridiculous question. Imagine, you know, White Night last Saturday night or New Year's Eve on Flinders Street Bridge. Imagine saying, you know, when you're walking along with someone, oh, how many people do you think, you know, are kind of jostling around you at the moment? It's a ridiculous question. It's completely flooded with people and you're, you know, body to body when you're watching the New Year's Eve fireworks in the city or at White Night or any of those events. But Jesus kept looking around. Jesus is attentive to what's going on. And among the many, he sees the one. Among the many, he sees the one. And the woman, just as Jairus had done, falls on her feet before Jesus and in fear, in awe. And she shares with Jesus her story, Mark tells us. Jesus says to her, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus gives her healing, but not only does he give her that, he takes away so much. He takes away the isolation and the exclusion that she would have experienced. He takes away poverty because now she can rebuild. And he takes away suffering. And, you know, this is faith where this woman is on her feet before Jesus, where she steps up to Jesus and touches his cloak, where Jairus falls on his feet as a first century man just would not do. This is faith, realising our need for God, that we are helpless without God. And it's in this moment of faith that Jesus meets us. Jesus sees us. Just as he sees and encounters the woman with a chronic bleeding, he sees us. You see, the profound thing about this passage is that it speaks a reality over all of our lives that there is room for us to get to Jesus, to reach out to Jesus. And if that's all we feel we can do is just a a reaching out, a a small last-ditch effort, that is enough. You see, as I thought about this week, I thought, we've all been this woman. We've all been, as the message puts it in one part of scripture, at the end of our rope. We've all had moments of time, seasons of time, sometimes long seasons of time, and some of us in this chapel are in a season like this, where all we can do is we feel like we can just reach out a hand, one effort, one motion towards God. We feel weak or desperate. 
And the Christian life is unequivocal that it brings with it trials and sufferings and hardships and adversity. And the Bible is not something that speaks against that. If anything, the Bible says yes to that, that that actually that is part of the Christian journey and walk. And Jesus speaks to that and to us in this passage and says that you can come to me. You can get to me like this woman did to Jesus. Uh, we had friends this week who, um, who uh, the, the, there are a couple and the, the girl, uh, she's a friend of ours, she has uh, had a diagnosis of Lyme disease. And um, it's taken so much courage, but actually what they've done is it started some kind of a campaign where friends can get around them and contribute to the, um, the costs, medical, medical costs and family costs associated with this girlfriend of ours and mother of two um, having this disease and trying to move forward. It's taken so much courage, they said, for her to actually put herself out there and ask for help. Uh, thinking this week about prayer for a chair and walking with all of us, walking with Kate in this um, this mission to see Kate get the new wheelchair that she so needs. It, it sometimes takes courage, doesn't it, to step out and, and to put yourself out there. Um, sometimes we feel like we haven't got much left. And, and this woman in this passage, the woman who isn't named, literally walks up to Jesus, behind Jesus, and all she can do is just reach out. It was such a simple thing that all she could manage. And you know, faith is the channel through which Jesus' power can work. It's in these seasons that God says, your faith has healed you. And that's not necessarily an always physical healing right now in the here and now. And we talked about that over the past couple of weeks, didn't we? Unpacking the healing we receive now. And sometimes we wait for full healing in the life to come and that full um, restoration that we know is coming. But faith in the moment is the channel where we can allow Jesus to reach us and touch us and renew us. So Mark now in this resolution part of the passage. The last part of the passage He turns his narrative back to Jairus and we've had the interruption of the woman and we've seen her healing. And there's this pivotal moment in the story where if it was a thriller or a drama or that kind of a genre of movie, this would be the one with all of the soundtrack going and the the key soundtrack um, playing. Because in verse 35, Mark says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people from the house of Jairus, from his house, the synagogue leader, came and they said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher, the rabbi, any more? Can you imagine the grief that, that Jairus would have felt as he heard those words? He would have been numb with grief and horror. My daughter is apparently dead. Now, I have no doubt that in this, in this split second that Jairus would have been crippled by fear and grief. How is he going to recover? Now, just for some interesting context, it actually wasn't all that rare in the first century for for children or young girls or boys of this age to to actually die very, very young. It was actually about 40% of children that would have died by this age of 12. 
um, because of, of the time of Jesus and what, what was going on in that time and that there was certainly no access to the things that we have today. But to Jairus, this wasn't just any statistical 12-year-old. This was his own daughter. And here is Jesus, the great healer, the great rabbi that Jairus has heard about, that, that his peers have been speaking about. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' home. He's so close to healing his daughter. And this news arrives that Jairus' daughter is dead. And we can feel the grief in this moment. We can feel what would have been going on for him. This is a real person. This is a real story. And here Jesus is the most non-anxious presence. We've been talking about that. Jesus says this, don't be afraid, just believe. Or to put it another way, just trust me. And once again, this theme of faith is weaving its way through Mark's gospel. And Jesus, what he does is he takes his inner circle. He takes Peter and James and John. Perhaps he's mindful that this is a super sensitive situation. This is not a mission or or a moment to bring the crowds, to bring all the followers. No, this is a special moment of ministry for Jesus. You don't want a crowd when there's something like this going on. Um, Maybe Jesus is teaching his disciples something about the nature of the ministry of the Father, that people matter, that intimacy matters, that being sensitive to somebody's situation is super paramount. And so they go together, just this small group, to the house where this 12-year-old lies. And now let's remember the woman. She had suffered for 12 years, Mark tells us, and here we meet a young girl, only 12 years old. And Jesus, reaching Jairus' daughter, says this, the child isn't dead, she's sleeping. She's sleeping. Where the woman with the chronic bleeding, remember she'd reached out for Jesus just with all she had left. She was desperate. It was a last-ditch effort to be healed. Here, Mark tells us that this young girl is way beyond that. She's unable to reach out to Jesus. This little girl's body too would have made anyone impure who touched it completely unclean because death was associated with uncleanness and you just wouldn't have gone close. And so let's not lose the the absolute power of what Jesus is doing here. Jesus goes to the girl, he takes hold of her hand, touches her, and in Aramaic it's recorded that Jesus said these, these words, Talitha kum, which means time to get up, little girl or daughter, as he had called the woman with the chronic bleeding, daughter. Arise, and and immediately, Mark records for us the second time in this passage, immediately she is made well. And verse 42 tells us that the crowd were completely astonished. You see, only Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the God of Israel's story so far, had the power to defeat death. And so here, they were looking and seeing something is happening here that we have never seen before. Wow, this is a sign of Yahweh, the God that we have heard of and the God that we follow is here amongst us in this man. This man has just shown his power of the wind and the waves. He's shown his power over demons. He's shown his power over sickness with this woman with the bleeding and now shows his power over the ultimate enemy, death itself. 
And not only is this a sign of Jesus' power over this girl's death, in performing this sign, Jesus is saying, this is how the story is going to end. There's going to be astonished people coming to see a place where a dead body was and is no longer. Because, of, of course, here in this miracle, Jesus is previewing, he's snapshotting, he's giving a foretaste of what he's going to achieve through his death and resurrection. And so this is powerful, church. Let's not lose the power of this passage, especially as perhaps some of us have grown up hearing this story. Maybe we're familiar with it. What is going on here is utterly incredible. And in the last verse of this passage, verse 43... Mark records for us a couple of specific details. Firstly, Jesus, having made the girl well, instructs his disciples and this girl's mother and father to give her something to eat. I love that this is recorded here. I love that Jesus is attentive to the girl's physical needs. He's overcome her death and she is alive. And Jesus says, go and get her some lunch. He attends to her physical needs and practical needs. He's done his work restoring this girl from death to life and now he invites others around him and says, you guys, you do your bit. You take part in the ministry of God here. Get her something to eat. And there's another little detail right at the end of this passage that you could miss. It's a little theme that pops up here and there in Mark and we've talked about the Mark and sandwich. This is the Mark and secret which sounds really exciting if you think about it. In verse 43, Mark tells us he gave, Jesus gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. Can you imagine trying to keep this a secret? Can you imagine hearing what happened or being Peter, James or John or maybe the mother or the father or the auntie or the friend or the neighbour? Can you imagine not telling anybody? Because this is incredible. This is unprecedented. This is life-changing stuff. Why would Jesus do this? Well, Jesus was starting a revolution. He was changing the course of history. Often people call Jesus' life and death and resurrection the hinge of history. Jesus was doing something subversive here. And if the Roman powers and, 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 and political powers got word of what Jesus was doing before it was time, his death would come way sooner. And Jesus knew this, and he was on his own timeline, the Father's timeline. He was on his way to meet evil and death and to stare it in the face and to defeat it in a way as unexpected as these two healings were of these women. But he wasn't there yet. And so Jesus says, don't tell anyone because his time is not yet here. Jesus has more to do, and we're going to read and hear and and. and, and Meditate on it as we move towards Easter. Um, his time is coming, but it's not yet here. Hence these instructions to Jairus' mother and father um, and all of those around him to not speak about it. Um, I've been so struck this week by how incredible this story is. And I think as I've been speaking this morning, some of you are too. It's an incredible story. It's a story that helps get to know Jesus. And see him firsthand. And church, see that he really is the king who brings us back to life. He is the king who meets us in his compassion and, and meets us where we are. He's the king who's available 
to us as he is to these uh, people, uh, people like Jairus who had standing in society and people like the woman who's not even named in this passage. Jesus is inclusive um, and he goes to someone who's on the lowest rung of the social ladder and reaches out with his healing and power and attention and ministry. Jesus is responsive. Jesus um, meets every person in the situation that they are, not expecting them to mature or change before he encounters them. He meets those who are unclean. He follows his father's agenda and not the agenda of, of you know, an earthly sense. And Jesus takes away fear and is the non-anxious presence. He sees us. He calls his daughter. He calls his son. And he invites us to trust him. And so, church, um, as, we, as we come out of studying this passage and, and digging right into it this morning, my prayer is that you would see Jesus as this king over your life and over our lives and over all of creation, that he comes to make you clean. And he comes to take away your sin and anything that makes you feel you are not good enough to be in his presence, to be in relationship with God, he takes that away. And he is a king worthy of our lives, worthy of our following. Um, the, the quote this week I just want to share was, um, was one from Billy Graham who also went to be with God forever this week on, I think it was Wednesday this week. And, um, and Billy Graham says this, someday you're going to read that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. And uh, we know that's where Roger is now. And we know that because of this Jesus that we meet in Mark's Gospel and in the words and pages of Scripture, we too have life and life to the full here and now and in the life to come. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to thank you that you are the King who comes to bring us back to life. We want to thank you for your spirit. We want to thank you for your love and your compassion and the way that you have included us in your story. And just quicken our hearts today and this week and this year that we may follow you and make you king over our lives and that we would really believe and step into the reality that we are your daughters and your sons. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.